Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. In this episode of Scale Your Sales podcast, my guest talks about sales enablement as one of the pioneers 25, 30 years ago of this whole subject area. He's author of the best-selling book, Sales Enablement 3.0, The Blueprint to Sales Enablement Excellence. Now, we talk about the different phases of sales enablement and how it's important you have different leadership to take you through those phases. We talk about diversity in sales, and there's some really excellent advice for leaders. We talk about the buyer's journey and customer excellence. There is so much in this episode. My next guest is a senior executive with over 20 plus years of sales enablement leadership experience. He is also an acknowledged practitioner and keynote speaker in the sales enablement space that understands how to create bridges between internal organizations to empower sales to exceed expectations. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Roderick Jefferson. Thanks for having me on, James. I'm absolutely honored and looking forward to this. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to you and I'm looking forward to uh, talking about your book, Sales Enablement 3.0, The Blueprint to Sales Enablement Excellence. So let's see the book. I know you've got it there under you. There you go. What a handsome man that is. Gorgeous. Uh, It's a great photographer. (laughs) Editing does wonders. (laughs) so tell me what was your inspiration I know this is your area but actually to take it into a book there are you know other people that have written about sales enablement what is the space that your book um satisfies that the others don't well to begin with it comes from the actual person that cloned the nomenclature sales enablement it was I 16 years ago that created the nomenclature and thus has taken off to this now global phenomenon that we call sales enablement. The reason for writing it was, was actually a multiplicity. One was I wanted to show the history of enablement, and that's why I call it 3.0. We talked about what was 1.0, starting with the traveling salesman and those type. And then the second, what I look at 2.0 was during high tech. And 3.0, the book is not like normal of, hey, here's all of your um, overviews and templates, although that's in there. I'm reading, excuse me, I'm writing from the perspective of what is the future of sales enablement? Where are we going? How do we get there? And more importantly, the why behind it. I think there were three overtures throughout the book, and that was communication, collaboration, and orchestration. How do we make sure we pull all of the lines of business together to make sure that we're working in sync and in alignment for our prospects and our customers? And I started it uh, 25 years ago, as a salesperson, I was in an inside biz dev rep. And 
From there, became an AE, got promoted to sales leader, turned it down, oddly enough, and realized I loved the process of selling more than I did taking on big, big deals. And so I've been very fortunate over my career to be at some great companies and learn an enormous amount. And thus, I think I've hit one of those milestones of age and stage. I'm sure you don't understand it, given that you're only 25, but <laughs> hitting one of those age and stage milestones of it was time to give back. And I wrote the book literally as folks that are coming into enablement or for folks inside of the enablement space looking to up-level their game. And finally, for marketing, product marketing, sales, engineering, et cetera, all the other pieces that collaborate. I think what's great is that you're setting the context. I mean, often, you know, as you say, people that have just started in sales enablement, there is an assumption that it's always been there. It's always been like this. And that's not been the case. It is still relatively, I know you you, you were there at the <laughs> pioneer of it, but for the majority of, of sales organizations, it's still relatively new. They're still negotiating. How do we enable our, our salespeople? Is it one person? Is it a section? How do we you know, change the sales process, the content? and you know marry all these things up people are still negotiating that and i think that's the space that your 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 book fills and i love it because first of all i'm watching my baby grow up in front of me so i get to be the proud pop i'm seeing it but more importantly and i actually start the book this way if you ask 10 people what sales enablement is you'll get 12 different answers now none of them would be fully complete and none would be inaccurate Enablement really comes down to, and it shifts as a company grows along their maturation cycle. So let's say you're in the beginning in, in your startup. Guess what's going to be important to you? It's about getting your messaging and position together. It's about hiring and, and growth. As you grow, now it shifts into a whole other phase where you start thinking about how do I make sure that everyone is on the same page? We've got consistency around processes, programs, platforms, tools, et cetera. Then as you grow again and you become, let's say one of those Fortune 100s, what's it about? It's all about relationships now. So as you grow, you need a different type of individual and a different type of seller. Now we're all familiar with the term ICP, ideal client or customer profile, because there's not enough acronyms. Let me throw another one out. Ideal employee profile. That shifts as you change from each of those maturation cycles. And as you do, you need to define a different level and need of enablement and also a different type of leader where you may be able to start with someone more junior then growing into that mid-level. And at some point, you're going to need a very seasoned enablement leader because as I say, you train animals and you enable people. Fascinating that you have talked about the different leadership you need for the different phases and you know 3.0 so the three key kind of stages and phases I wonder how many organizations recognize it's a different skill set well I think a lot more than previous uh, I, I talked to a lot of my peers and also mentees of mine and I asked the same question what does enablement mean to you right now and then six months later, a year later, we're having the same conversation, but the answer has shifted. Yeah. So as the buyer's journey shifts, as does the need for a different level and maturation. Well, talking about the buyer's journey and how that shifted, 
In terms of B2B sellers, do you think that it shifted enough to be buyer and customer centric? Oh, you know, if it hasn't, then you're not going to be around long. I think that the top sellers have actually realized and also embraced that if they don't focus on and tie into the buyer's journey, they will not be able to close deals. It's no longer enough to understand their personas and their ideal customer profiles. They have made a shift and they have to make a shift that they haven't already from moving from giving presentations to truly having business-focused conversations. This is what they need to do. How well are they, they doing it? I think in different spaces and industries, they're better than some. I consulted for a few years and it's interesting. They all have the same problem. They all call it something different and they all put a different level of priority. So it really comes down to is if you are out there still giving presentations, it's going to show in closed deal ratios. It's going to show in win loss percentages. It's going to show in attrition of your sellers. It's also going to show in a disjointed level of lack of collaboration around all the lines of business. And at some point, someone really smart is going to have to say, probably time we shift our approach and our messaging. Generally, I'd like to believe it's enablement that comes to sales and says, hey, you know what? We've listened to a bunch of calls and our messaging and positioning, I've heard it seven different ways. Then we go to product marketing and we say, hey, the messaging and positioning is not clear. Love the first call pitch. Slide number six gets a little fuzzy. Can we smooth that out or can we take it out? Then we go to product management and say, hey, I've talked to 10 customers or prospects and seven of them are asking for this particular need. Can we move that up on the release side? Then we go to HR and say, hey, the type of folks we're, we're hiring right now are not meeting where we're going forward because we're talking to seasoned folks. And when I'm talking to the leaders, they're telling me they've got shoes and belts older than some of the people that are talking to them. And I don't mean that negatively at all. Just sometimes you need to look across the table and look at someone that, as we say in America, you've been to a couple of rodeos and picnics, right? And you've got some season and maybe even a little gray to show that, that you've been through a, a few wars, if you will. And I don't mean that literally, clearly. But that's where enablement becomes that conductor of the orchestra across all of the lines of business. To be the conductor of the orchestra, and this is ideal, they need to have influence and they need to have the authority. So often I find in organizations, it's just another function. So how do you move that so that it, enablement is released to enable? Oh, great question. And that's why when I define what we do in enablement, I always say it's about impact and influence. We don't own driving revenue. We prepare folks and we part. So it starts, I think, with a couple of different angles. First is, first of all, aligning with and staying in sync with the first and second line managers. That's where the rubber meets the road. I can give you the best, most incredible world-class enablement strategy. If they don't own the adoption, excuse me, let me step back, the design, the build, the implementation, and the positive modeling of it, it dies on the bottom. That's one. The second is everything that we do from enablement has to tie back to metrics. I don't mean smiley sheets and butts and seats. 
oh, we got all fives and we trained 400 people. That and seven bucks will get you a lot. That's not what matters anymore. It's really about how do we accelerate speed to revenue? How do we increase productivity? And ultimately, how do we create customers for life by tying the front end of the house with the back of the house of customer success, or, excuse me, customer success or customer experience? If you pull that all together and you constantly iterate, take feedback in, not just pushing out, and you never give sellers what we think they need, only what they're asking for, we may help them tweak the, the end result. But then coming back and sharing the metrics that are tied to all that piece, now you become a valued partner and no longer someone that is just responsible for training. So I'm interested, how many years ago, how did you start on this enablement journey? What was your lead into it or the problem that you were trying to solve? I'll tell you the story of how it all came about. I was meeting with my SVP of sales and he said, we can't um, get to discovery and qualification deep at a deep enough level. We're discounting too deeply because we can't get to objections and throw training at it. Our leaders are more managers than they are leaders, and they're, or they're super closers by putting the cape on, throw training at it. And I said, actually, no, we don't need more training. Because you, and that's where the statement of you train animals, you enable people. What we need is to prepare these people to understand how to speak to and how to navigate through the buyer's journey, understanding who's buying, how it happens, when it happens in some cases, rather than trying to shoehorn them into our sales process, our sales stages, our sales methodology, our selling motions, if you will. Because when that happens, we're trying to force them to do business the way we do. No. And it also came to the point where I said, Training is about giving you answers, i.e. learning and development. Enablement is about teaching you how to ask the right questions. I love this. This is really singing my, my tune that I'm talking about an awful lot in that, uh, you know, training, we know the, the learning curve. It, you, people don't retain it for very long. Uh, oh, wow. We also know that uh, sales teams haven't hit, you know, 50% of them do not hit quota and haven't done for the last 30 years. So something is telling you what we've done in the past is not working. We shouldn't continue to do it in, in the future. But organizations are very locked into their processes. They're locked into the sales process. And I talk about the buying process. That's what you need to be locked into and understanding, you know, how your customers buy and how you can enable them to buy. You absolutely nailed it, you know, and, and that's the thing that we have to make the biggest shift in not just enablement, but sales in general. Yeah. Stop giving presentations, start having conversations that are business focused. And another thing that I, I bring to the table is stop going in and digging for pain. It's not always about pain. Yeah. Sometimes it's about how do I help them increase efficiency and, and productivity? Other times it's how do we help them to decrease pain? Now, the true seller doesn't sell. They are the person that can ask the right questions that will help delineate all of those pieces. That's step one. Step two, I believe there's one question that I'm seeing more often lately, thankfully, but to the old school sellers that we weren't taught to ask. And it goes this way. So Mr. and Mrs., we understand the needs of the business. 
We understand your scope and vision and direction. What I'd like to understand is what will this mean for you specifically by, that you can only get by partnering with my company. And the reason I want to ask that is, will it help you get your name in life? Will it get you a promotion? Will it help to get you out of the doghouse? Will it get you a larger vote or voice at the table? Minus that one minuscule question, which is grand in, in the scheme of things, but a very small, easy point question. If you don't ask that question, you're only getting 50% of why people ask. Because I don't care about AI and ML, which I love and I'm a big fan of. But at the end of the day, we're in the people person business. Yeah. People are still buying from people. Yeah. And I, I think you're absolutely right. People's personal drivers are more important than their corporate drivers. And if you can tap into that, then you've got them. And, and often you can meet both. But if you don't find out what the personal driver is, what's in it for them, it's like, well, we can take it or leave it, really. I'm not so sure about this. I do get that. There's one thing that you uh, said to me about your tried and tested strategy. And I love this. Sales leaders start every meeting. Can you <laughs> give us more information about this? Because I think sure. it's brilliant. It's, it's, again, it's a simple three-part question that is so incredibly powerful. I start every one of my team meetings and my one-on-ones with the same three-part question. Do you want me to listen? Do you want me to coach? Or do you want me to fix? Let me say that again. Do you want me to coach? Do you want me to listen? Or do you want me to fix? And the reason I put it that way is by natural occurrence, as leaders, we're fixers. But it's not always what's needed. Sometimes it's, hey, boss, you know what? I just need you to hear this outside of my head and see if it sounds like I'm bonkers or, or if it's actually valid. The other piece is, hey, I've tried these things. You've got experience. What have you seen that works and doesn't work so that I don't step in the same hole and break my ankle? And third, it's, hey, boss, just tell me how to fix this because I've tried everything I know and nothing's working. The second reason this is so powerful is, one, it tells you, the leader, what set of ears to put on so you're listening clearly. And the other piece is so that um, you know that the other person knows that everything is all about them. I absolutely, when I saw this, I thought, wow, that is, is incredible. You can use it in so, so many levels, even with your family as well, really, isn't it? Um, and uh, I absolutely love it. Not only is it all about them, you're given instructions of how you need to be so that they can best absorb the information so that they can go on to the next step. I think it's absolutely um, brilliant. So thank you so much for, for sharing that. I'm really interested to understand your perspective on diversity in sales. What's your experience? What's your view? How we can um, change? Do we need to change? Over to you. I'm going to come from two angles. One is the, the typical DEI of gender, ethnicity, et cetera. I think that we can always do better. I, I've been in Silicon Valley here in California for 25 years, and I'm still seeing companies that move from 1% to 2% majority with their party. There's just not enough being done. Now, there are organizations such as um, Cells for the Culture, where I said, actually sit on the board, the focus of this group is to ensure folks globally of either migrating into sales 
at a junior level or helping folks of color to uh, up level. That's, that's one. Now, from a gender perspective, I'd love to see more women and I'm seeing more now and, and it just warms my heart to see more women um, sales leaders across the board. Because now, let me step to the second piece. Because when we don't have that mix and everyone looks like, talks like, thinks like, and has the same haircut, what you lose is diversity of thought. Because you'll get no new approaches. You'll get no new, fresh ideas. What you'll get is, well, we tried that and it didn't work. Okay, we're not gonna try that again, fine. We tried that and it works. Well, it worked a year ago. It worked pre-COVID. It worked last Thursday. And it may not do that going forward. The other thing that I think you get when you increase um, diversity is you are now forced by mechanism to push everyone to be better. Now, can I say everything is on parity? No, I think that, and it goes without saying, but I think I feel like it needs to be said. There is parity in talent. There is not parity in access and opportunity. That's what we have to do a better job of lifting across the board. And yeah. when we do that, then I think when DNI gets to a point to where it's not required, and I don't know if we'll ever get there, but where it's not required as an organization, then we have succeeded. Until then, we've got a lot. That honesty and forthrightness, and uh, I know that you've seen a lot uh, in in your time, and uh, you know, appreciate we've still got a long way to go. <laughs> what would you say to a leader that? understands the kind of tick box but you know that there isn't really much change in the culture of the organization so you know they promoted a few people and uh and and they feel the job is done so as a leader how would you influence what would you you say oh another fantastic question and i always start this way Culture is what happens when no one is. It's not what you put on your website. It's not what you put in your marketing slips. It's really about what happens behind the curtain. So I always ask my, my sales leaders, certainly you have a development plan around hitting quota. What are you going to do with the other half of that individual? And they laugh. And I said, no, no, I'm very serious. What are we doing for a personal development? Also working with HRLD, what are we doing to put together succession plans so that we're going to create more leaders and less managers? And I think that is the spark of conversation by the fact that now we have to go back and really put pen to paper, if you will, and say, we talked about it, that's great. What are we going to do to put it into practical application? And then here's the key, enablement folks, Put time on the calendar a month from that conversation so you know you have to circle back because now you're both held accountable to come back with, at a minimum, ideas, hopefully best practices and things that have been put in place, but at a, mem at a minimal amount, you come back and say, we had this conversation, where are we now? You have it twice, then you have a different conversation. Are your people important? Is growth important to them? Is developing these folks and moving them into their next level? And if not, then you take that up a level and you talk to your VP, SVP, your CRO, whoever sits at the top of the org chart and say, 
in your opinion, where is personal and professional development sit in your priority? Because we know what's important to your manager or your leader is imperative to you. So I work at that level and then work backwards. Love that. Great, great insight there. Okay. So Roderick, who is your hero or shero? Ah, you know, that, that is probably the easiest question anybody ever asked. It's my mom. Um, and I'll say my mom's because I was adopted, so I don't want to leave anyone out. And so what I say is their focus on the four Fs, faith, family, fun, and friends has always been my guiding light. And it started with them. Um, also, the fact that it was always about the way that you treat people was based upon the person, not the title. My mom would ask me, do you know when your CEO goes on vacation? I'm like, I have no idea what he's out. And she said, exactly. And this was before COVID, but before we had you know, titles of who was important and who wasn't. She would say, now think about what if your garbage man or the plumber waited two weeks ago? How important are these people? And who's really driving productivity in the company? Certainly it starts with scope and vision. I won't take that away from any CEO or, or C-level individual because we have a, a tough job. But when it really comes down to it, never forget who's important. I have something that, and I do it all the time and I've been training my kids since they were small. Every time we go out to eat at a restaurant, I have one goal. Our server has to smile, I mean a real smile, one time before that meal is over because that may be the only one that they get all day and it may be the only recognition of how important as a person and a human they are. I love that because we're still human beings and we mm -hmm. need human connection and if you strip away all of the positions and titles there isn't any hierarchy in human connection and human beings we, it's all the same and there you know there it doesn't it isn't doesn't see diversity either we all deserve the same level of human connection and re respect so i absolutely love your mothers for instilling mm -hmm. that and you're then passing that down and and i think that's a great thing if you you know you're if you if you have create a human connection you know your kids around the the dinner table with the surf everyone feels wonderful everyone feels everyone suddenly has a great day so i think if when they wake up in the morning if that's your goal then that's an incredible goal love that love that well how can listeners get hold of you roderick i always say if you can't find me on social media you're not really trying Let's start there. So on LinkedIn, Roderick Jefferson, um, on Twitter at the voice of Rod, and also on Instagram at Roderick underscore J underscore associates. Lovely. Excellent. I'll put all of that in the show notes. So thank you so much for being a guest on Scale Yourselves podcast, Roderick Jefferson. My absolute pleasure and honor. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes.
I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.